The following is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. Here on the line, here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika, sports leader. Happy Friday, everybody. Hope you're doing well on a hot, sunny day here in Auburn Opelika. This is On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins, back in the studio. That's right, we are back from Nashville. Uh, Dan Peck and I got back uh, late last night about... It was about 11 o'clock, 11.30 last night uh, when we got back to uh, to Auburn from Nashville after a very, very successful, fun, exciting week uh, in Nashville for SEC Media Days. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and be honest with you, folks. I'm tired, man. <laughs> I, am, I am tired today. Um, it's been a long week. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. Um, it's always so busy in in SEC media days it's just four days of a grind and yes it's a lot of fun right we're we're listening and, and asking questions and doing our show uh there from from Radio Row but it's a lot of work and um uh we're we're just happy we were able to do it once again it was a lot of fun to be in Nashville for that event it's been in Hoover for so long and, and kind of back and forth in Atlanta uh, of course in Nashville for the first time it'll be in Dallas next year uh so uh, hopefully everything uh, works out for for that to where we can go uh, to Dallas for SEC Media Days 2024. Uh, Carter's out of the studio today. He's out. He is uh, gone for the weekend. He'll be back on Monday, and so uh, the both of us will be here in studio Monday afternoon. But uh, got a great show on tap for you today. Going to recap SEC Media Days, tell you about who all we talked to, what they had to say. Uh, also, the uh, SEC Media preseason polls are out. Every single credentialed member that was in Nashville received a poll, myself included, uh, to vote for the preseason All-SEC teams. And, of course, the big one uh, that everybody gets going and fired up about is the SEC media preseason uh, rankings, right, where everybody uh, – ranks their predictions for SEC football coming up in 2023. So that's been released today. Our ballots were due, uh, I believe they were due at 5 o'clock last night, and so they are out, and we'll talk about those results. There's some surprising ones. Uh, We'll talk about what the media thinks is going to happen in 2023. Then, coming up at 2.30, very excited to have uh, a new guest on the show, uh, Dr. John Carvalho. He actually used to be a professor of mine when I was at Auburn. He used to be a, a journalism professor over at Auburn University. He's actually going to join me in studio today at 2.30 to talk about the the story of the AJC uh, and the University of Georgia. Uh, if you missed that story, uh, the... 
basically there was a there was a story put out about Georgia that from this um, from this outlet that just wasn't correct and Georgia was not excited they were not happy about it and uh, a reporter was fired uh, there was a lot that happened there so a lot of journalistic mistakes were made in that situation and so uh, Dr. Carvalho wanted to come in and talk about that I think it's going to be a really really good interview uh, and really good conversation so looking forward to having him join me here in the studio coming up at 2.30. Uh, and then Jack Hutton will join me in hour number two. We'll talk about SEC media days, maybe even talk a little bit of golf as the Open going on right now as uh, Brian Harmon, 10 under par through two days, shot a six under today, 65. Uh, some of the biggest names in golf struggling, including my guy, Scotty Scheffler, uh, who is one shot out of the cut line. believe they're at plus three right now, and he is plus four. Uh, so looking like this will be one of the very few times Scotty Scheffler does not make the cut and compete over the weekend but that's all coming up here today should be a fantastic show I know we haven't taken a lot of phone calls this week since I was in Nashville and we had so many great interviews and audio but phone lines are open today and so uh, if you have something to say about SEC media days about how the media voted uh, I'm going to tell you how I voted coming up in just a little bit as well phone lines are open give me a call here on a Friday afternoon 334-321-1390 that number again 334-321-1390 90. If you call in, I'm just going to put you right on. Uh, nobody else is in the studio. It's me, myself, and I today. So uh, give me a call. Talk to me. Let's have some fun on a Friday afternoon, 334-321-1390. With SEC Media Days wrapping up, we are 43 days away from the start of Auburn football. Uh, fall camp will start uh, in, in just a few days. And so uh, very excited to, to get Auburn back on the football field. Very excited for college football to start. High school football is right around the corner as well. Lee Scott Academy gets going on August 17th. Um, and then everybody else, Auburn High, of course, that's the other team we cover here with Auburn Network. They get going uh, the week after that. And so then there's high school football, then there's college football, and then there's NFL football. And we'll be right back in the middle of it. So uh, it's right around the corner, folks. So get excited with football right around the corner. Well, let's talk about SEC Media Days a little bit because I've been gone all week. Again, I am very, very tired, uh, but very honored and blessed to be able to uh, to go to SEC Media Days. Very, very thankful to Auburn Network, Radio Alabama. I know I, I said this yesterday before signing off, but definitely want to say it again uh, to both companies that, that are here and, and Steve Witten, our general manager, Lee Perryman, Michael Brandon, all these, uh, everybody that allowed us, me and Dan, to, to go to Nashville and go to SEC Media Days and cover it. And I look, I know I'm biased, right? I, I know I'm going to be a little... Uh, of a homer here, but when it comes to our coverage here on ESPN 106.7, between Doug Amos with the Max Roundtable, who did a fantastic job this week, as he always does, our show on the line from 2 to 4, and the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck, who was with me in Nashville, who did a great job as well. I don't think anybody did it better than us. I'm just going to be honest with you, folks. We had seven straight hours of coverage at SEC Media Days from Radio Row, from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. You can't beat that. You cannot beat that. And for our show specifically, um, we had tons of guests and tons of audio, including one of only two outlets at SEC Media Days. Let me say that again. One of two outlets in the entire SEC Media Days realm 
that was able to sit down and talk to head coach Hugh Freeze of Auburn football. One of two. And a big shout out and thank you to uh, Auburn Athletics, uh, Kirk Sampson, Shelly Poe, um, every SID that is with Auburn Athletics. They helped us out tremendously. And a lot of that had to do with, of course, if you missed the announcement, Auburn Network is now uh, the official rights holder for the Auburn Sports Network and our family of stations where Auburn University football will now be on Wings 94.3. So excited for that. That's our sister station, our classic rock station here at Auburn Network. And between that and AU100, which is 100.3, you can listen to Auburn University football, men and women's basketball, men's baseball, and Tiger Talk, the weekly coaches show, all here on our Auburn Network family of stations. And so with that, we were able to uh, sit down. I was with the one-on-one closed-door interview with head coach Hugh Freeze. Uh, thank you to him and his time. Had great things to say. Super, super nice guy. Um, was was excited to talk to him. Uh, I got to speak to him a few minutes before and after the on-mic interview. Uh, but he had great things to say, man. And, and you can tell with Hugh Freeze in my one-on-one with him You can tell just how excited he is for this football season to start in 43 days. You can also tell that he is very, very blessed to be back in the SEC. He is very, very blessed to be the head coach at Auburn University. And those are things that people talked about when he was getting considered for the job. Uh, We had lots of listeners and callers to this show, this station, talk about If Hugh Freeze got hired, he would work harder than anybody else. And I think you can see that. And I think he spoke about that. And Carter and I talked about this at length. He had a great media days, folks. He did. Hugh Freeze and Auburn had a perfect SEC media days. And for a week that is filled with content and interviews and sound bites and headlines, the goal is to not have any of that if you're a head coach or a player when you're there. Um, that, that's the goal is to get in and get out. And that's exactly what Hugh Freeze did. And if you missed that interview, uh, you can find it on our website at ESPNAU.com. It's on the front page. Go check it out. It's about six minutes long. Um, he had great things to say. So on top of Hugh Freeze and my one-on-one interview with him, we talked to Gary Stokan, uh, the Peach Bowl Incorporated CEO, We talked to Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football. Uh, Always enjoy talking with him. Uh, We had Chris Doring of the SEC Network. Daryl Daprich, who is a contributor for Locked on Auburn, with Zach Blackerby. Jordan Hill of Dogs 247, our usual weekly guest talking Georgia athletics, was able to get him on in person. Uh, SEC Network analyst Takeo Spikes, of course, played at Auburn in the NFL, so able to have him on this week. Joe Tessitore from SEC Network and ESPN, Zach Blackerby of Locked On Auburn, Austin Hannon of Bama Central, uh, Brandon Marcello of 247, the National College Football Writer for 247, uh, Chris Gordy of Locked On SEC. So Lance Dahl of Locked On Kentucky, Andrew Stefaniak of Locked On Aggies. We had a lot of guests on this show this past week, and I hope that you were able to uh, to catch all of what they had to say. If you missed any of it, uh, again, our podcasts are at ESPNAU.com or just search on the line wherever you get your podcast. But thank you to to all of those people for coming by the table at some point throughout, or throughout the week and uh, talking with me, talking about their respective teams that they covered, whether it was Auburn, Georgia, just football in general, whatever it may be. 
Uh, I thank all of them uh, for their time and their words uh, and their kindness to me uh, to, to come by and do that. And so it was a fantastic week at SEC Media Days. Excited to see how it turns out with Dallas next year uh, for, for SEC Media Days 2024. And as I mentioned, every credentialed member who is there, as far as I know, uh, gets a, they get a ballot, right? The SEC sends them a ballot. And you fill out your preseason 2023 SEC football poll. And the results came out today of the predicted order of finish and the amount of votes that each team got. And there are some doozies in here. I will just say that. There are some interesting numbers and stats when it comes to where the team stacked up and who received first place votes to win the SEC East and West, and who just got votes to win the conference. Um, there are some <laughs> there are some really, really interesting things in here. So gonna start with the SEC West. Okay. Gonna start with the SEC West. And we talked about this this week. The fact that Auburn was getting crazy disrespect from the media there in Nashville. And we talked about how Auburn was being picked to finish sixth or seventh in the SEC West and the media backed it up with their votes they picked Auburn to finish sixth and Mississippi State to finish seventh in the SEC West Mississippi State I don't have a problem with Um, a lot of their fans actually made an interesting point today on Twitter they were talking about how Mississippi State is picked to finish last in the SEC West it seems like just about every year but yet they never actually finish seventh in the west so I thought that was an interesting point uh Auburn was voted by the media to finish sixth in the SEC west just the the second to last spot on that side of the conference Arkansas was picked to finish fifth Ole Miss at four Texas A&M at three LSU at two and the Alabama Crimson Tide voted to win the SEC west this year by the media at SEC media days um I don't hate it I don't hate, obviously, Alabama's the easy pick. They're the most popular pick every single year to win the SEC West. Um, LSU at two, I think, is 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 the favorite there. Um, but the media picking LSU two, Texas A&M at three, I'm okay with. I think Ole Miss and Arkansas should be flipped. I think Arkansas should be above Ole Miss. Uh, I just think Arkansas is going to be a better team than Ole Miss. But I think Auburn's too low. I've said that. I think Auburn should be at that four spot. I would be even be okay with the five spot. But Auburn's not going to be the second worst team in this division. They're just not. I just uh, when I look at the schedule and I look at the talent on this team and I look at Hugh Freeze and Philip Montgomery on the offensive side of the football and the talent on the defensive side of the football, there's no way that Auburn finishes sixth in the SEC West. You look at the SEC East, Vanderbilt was picked to finish seventh, as they are most years. I think that's wrong. Missouri is at six. I would flip those two schools. I think Missouri will be a worse team than Vanderbilt this year. I think Missouri misses a bowl game, and I've said it multiple times. I think the Commodores are going bowling this year. Florida is at five. I can see that. We've talked about how it's going to be a struggle once again. Uh, for Billy Napier in year two, 
there in Gainesville. Their schedule is unbelievably difficult. They start on the road at Utah. Um, so I think Florida at five is fine. Here's the two that I really would switch right here. Kentucky at four and South Carolina at three. I think Kentucky will be the third best team in the East. I think they're going to be better than South Carolina. And here's why I say that. I think Devin Leary is a more consistent quarterback. Spencer Rattler's got it all, right? He has it all. He has the flashes. He has the big highlight reel plays. He's got the charisma. He's got the confidence, right? He has all those things. But the one thing that he also has is inconsistency. If he plays all year long like he played last year against Tennessee and Clemson, South Carolina may just win the whole daggum thing. But they won't because he will not play like that every game. He won't. He, he just hasn't proven to me that he can do that. I think Devin Leary at Kentucky will be a more consistent quarterback. And I think Kentucky is going to be a better football team than South Carolina. So I would put Kentucky at three, South Carolina at four. Tennessee was picked to finish second, and Georgia, of course, picked to uh, win the SEC East. And then uh, you look at the, the conference as a whole, who was picked to just win the conference. Georgia uh, was, the, was the favorite to, to win the conference. When it comes to points, uh, this is how they, uh, how they rated it from the SEC. Georgia with 181, Alabama with 62, LSU then with 31. Uh, when we come back, though, I want to tell you why people are all riled up about how the SEC media voted in their preseason polls. They're not worried about who was picked to finish and who was picked to win fully, but they're worried about who received votes to finish first in the SEC East and who is voted to win the SEC. They got a couple of votes, and there's some teams on here that people are all riled up about. We'll talk about that when we come back. 334-321-1390. Give me a call. We'll talk about it some more here on the Friday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502. Back inside the studio here at ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader Jacob Goins flying solo today. Carter Bird out for the weekend. He'll be back on Monday. Uh, got a couple of minutes before uh, we welcome in Dr. John Carvalho talking about the uh, journalistic disaster, I think is a great way to put it, uh, over in Georgia uh, with AJC versus UGA is like uh, it seems to be labeled. But uh, got a few more minutes before we welcome him onto the program. Been talking about the results from SEC Media Days uh, in the media's preseason uh, polls, the preseason votes, and uh, we went through uh, who was picked where by the media. Georgia picked to finish first in the East. Alabama picked to win the West, and Georgia ultimately picked to win the SEC by the media there in Nashville. But what's really got people riled up is the fact on a couple of schools received some first-place votes to win the SEC. And Georgia, again, they received 181. Alabama received 62. LSU received 31 in third. But here's where people are starting to get riled up, okay? You look at the list of who received votes to win the SEC, not just win their division, but to win the SEC. 
Vanderbilt received five. Arkansas received two. Auburn got two stray votes. Mississippi State got a vote. South Carolina got a vote. And so the one that's really got everybody riled up is the fact that Vanderbilt received eight first-place votes to win the East, and they received five total votes to win the SEC. And it makes people mad because I, I don't mind it. I'm fine with it. But it makes people mad because, oh, people aren't taking the vote seriously. And who should, this is why people shouldn't get credentialed. No, people that ask dumb questions shouldn't get credentialed. But people that vote in this, it is what it is. And here's what I have to say it's a media preseason poll that basically means nothing. Uh, I mean, it's a preseason prediction by a bunch of media members. And not saying that it does, they don't matter because our opinions do matter. But it's just a prediction based off of teams we don't even know what they're going to look like. Fall practice hasn't even started yet. Half the teams in this conference, we don't even know who the starting quarterback is going to be 100%. Right? It's tough to judge a team when you don't know what they're going to look like. And so for people that are getting frustrated over Vanderbilt receiving five first-place votes, who cares? Who cares that South Carolina got one? Mississippi State got one, okay? Let's just, Auburn got two, and Auburn's not going to win the SEC this year. But I just don't think it's that big of a deal. Now, am I surprised that Georgia was picked to win the SEC again? No. Am I surprised that Georgia and Alabama were picked to win their respective side of the divisions? No. But I don't agree with Alabama. I think LSU is the favorite to win the SEC West. I think they're the team to beat. I think they have the best quarterback situation on the SEC West. I think they have one of the best coaches, not just in this conference, but in the entire country, and Brian Kelly. Um, and he sounded really, really good at SEC Media Days, and I, I think they, they're going to let people know that LSU's coming this year because the talent is there, the schedule is there, and... I think they just have a really, really good team. So I think LSU is the team to beat in the SEC West. And, of course, this is the last year of divisions. And then next year, it'll just be the top two teams that play in Atlanta every single year. And fun fact about that, uh, Greg Sankey was actually asked about the SEC championship and a possibility of it moving out of Atlanta. And he basically shut that down immediately. He said, the basketball tournament's in Nashville, but football's going to stay in Atlanta. But... I, I do want to 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 kind of look at this, and you look at the vote getters. Uh, Auburn, of course, I said was picked to finish uh, second to last in the SEC West. They got four first place votes, so take that for what you will. Um, but I, I just don't agree that Auburn's going to be sixth in the SEC West. I think it's disrespectful. I think it's wrong, and ultimately, I think Auburn could be as high as three, and low as five I mean they could be six if they go six and six or another five and seven but I don't think that's a possibility um, I think we've talked about this I think Auburn's floor is seven and their ceiling is nine wins I think that's where they should expect to be in 2023 um, you look at the SEC East and Besides Georgia, obviously Tennessee is going to push for them. I don't know what Tennessee is going to be. I think Joe Milton's the best quarterback in this conference, and that's how I voted it on my ballot. I voted him as the best quarterback in this conference. Um, here's how I 
ranked my SEC East and West really quickly. In the West, I have Mississippi State at the bottom at seven. I have Ole Miss at six, Texas A&M at five. I know that's kind of a shock, but until Jimbo Fisher shows me he can put all the talent together and get wins on the football field, I'm not going to buy into them. I would rather not buy into them and they prove me wrong rather than buy into them once again and then prove me wrong that way by being an average football team. So I have Texas A&M at five. I have Arkansas at four in the SEC West. I put Auburn at three. I put Auburn to finish third in the SEC West. I think an eight and four season would do that for this team. I think it's very doable. I think the talent is there. I think Peyton Thorne is going to be a really solid quarterback. He's going to do some good things, but he's not going to do a whole lot of bad things, and I think that's what's going to benefit Auburn. I have Alabama at two and LSU at one. I think LSU gets back to Atlanta. I think they take on Georgia in the SEC championship. I have Georgia at one. I have Tennessee at two. I have Kentucky at three. South Carolina, four. Florida, five. Vanderbilt, six. And Missouri, seven. I think Florida's going to struggle. I think Kentucky is better than South Carolina. I think Devin Leary is going to keep Kentucky competitive. They won't beat Tennessee or Kentucky, or uh, Tennessee, excuse me, in Georgia. But the fact that Auburn was picked to finish sixth in the West? Come on now. That's just wrong. It's absolutely wrong. And we can talk some more about that coming up in hour number two. Jack Hudden will join us, but stay tuned. Dr. Carvalho joins me after this. We'll talk about a disaster in the state of Georgia when it comes to journalism. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Halfway through hour number one here on the Friday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins. No Carter Bird. He'll be back on Monday, but excited to welcome a new guest to the program. Dr. John Carvalho actually taught me in my journalism days at Auburn University and since retired, and uh, it seems like you're living your best life now, just uh, kind of taking it all in and, and talking about anything you want to especially when there's fallouts when it comes to journalism in the world yeah I tell you uh, my area the class that you took was a sports journalism class and so when it comes to sports media and the journalistic principles involved uh, to me that that always gives us such a great opportunity to talk about these things by the way a side thing to embarrass you very proud of uh, your good work here well thank you I appreciate that very much well I, we were talking before uh, before you came on and and I graduated August of last year so we're coming up on a year already that I've been out of Auburn it's it's crazy to think about well and when you think I believe I'm at uh, uh, 50 years no 40 40 uh, 45 years since I graduated <laughs> You'll be there soon enough. I, I will. It'll it'll be here before before I know it. Well, uh, it was it was always a blast to to learn from you, and I know you you had such a, a great tenure at Auburn. I took your uh, advanced sports reporting, one of your final ones, I believe, when uh, before you you wrapped it up completely. And so you're one of the best in the business, and you'd reached out about this, and, and a perfect person to talk to on a story that 
seems to be overshadowed, I think, especially with SEC Media Days that just finished up. Uh, This was a story that was in the headlines, but I don't think it was there long enough. I mean, this was a this was a big deal that happened with the University of Georgia and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And more news has come out just a couple of days ago. A reporter was fired. A statement was released. Things were brought back. It's a disaster of what happened over there. So I want to open up the floor to you and let you explain to to my listeners what happened, what this situation was, and why the University of Georgia was so upset. Sure. On uh, on June 27th, the AJC published an article by Alan Judd that, uh, tough to summarize, but it, it implied, it reported that uh, the University of Georgia, that Kirby Smart and his staff were uh, rallied around athletes, even if they were charged with sexual assault. And so um, the article said that there were 11 players who fell into that category and uh, detailed two. You know, we always talk about you try to find two, one or two people to go deep on. And they Mm -hmm. only talked about two. One was Jamal Jarrett, uh, a defensive lineman who, as a recruit during his recruiting visit, he was investigated for sexual assault but not charged. And then the other was Adam Anderson, a freshman linebacker who was suspended after a sexual assault arrest. And so there was this long article that particularly detailed the Jared investigation, and it uh, seemed to imply that the investigating officer was far too accommodating and friendly with Jared. It had a, a quote where he said, I'm looking out for you no matter how this plays out. I think there's a lot you can learn from it. And uh, in, in Anderson's case, uh, it talked about how many of his teammates uh, showed up at his bond hearing. Mm-hmm. And the implication was that they were, they were uh, encouraged to by, by uh, Kirby Smart. So that was June 27th. On July 11th, uh, attorneys uh, for the university wrote a letter to the AJC demanding a retraction. It was a nine-page letter. You know, we always make jokes about lawyers being charged or charging by the hour, billable hours, making a lot of money that way. And you wonder if this letter they were charged, charging by the word because <laughs> it was nine pages. Right. And um, they, they pointed out several problems with the article. And, and the, the two that I will um, in particular stress, one of them is that Judd, the, the writer, Alan Judd, mm-hmm. did say did give the number 11 players but he never identified 11 players he only identified the two only identified two right and which it's you know in class if you had said to me you know uh i there are 11 players who uh are a part of this uh organization that that does this i'd be like well why don't you name them right well who are they yeah who are they right and never did, and and never, subsequent reporting never never uh, gave those names either. Just Jarrett and Anderson. Um, and and as a side note, the the, the attorneys pointed out that um, he did not report on a star wide receiver last name Holloman who was kicked off the team after being arrested, as soon as he was arrested, mm-hmm. 
uh, even no conviction or anything, uh, you know, the, the case hadn't gone through process. And the article didn't even mention that. So, so it's so weird. And so the, the problem with that, I would assume, is it's like, A, are you are you lying about that number of 11 players or B, what's your reasoning for not naming those other players? Am I right in that? Yes. And, and here's my point. Let's not just blame the reporter. What was the, the AJC's sports staff? Were they, were they asleep at the wheel? Why right. didn't they? You know, when you when you see an article that's going to be published, mm-hmm. I know that that newspapers in particular don't have the copy editing staff they had when I was a sports writer, but didn't anybody in charge there read and say, if you're not going to name these players, that's going to get us in trouble. Mm-hmm. So they basically, yeah, they walked right into that one. And um, well, well, we'll talk about the AJC's response because that, that's what was released this week. The other thing that um, they pointed out, that quote that I gave you, those two sentences, I'm looking out for you, and no matter how this plays out, I think there's a lot you can learn from it. They were said several minutes apart, Hmm. and he put them together into one quote. Big no-no. I think you learned about that in news writing. I did. I did learn a little bit about that in my time in college. And And it's the same way when you're, you know, putting audio together. We we tweet out a bunch of our clips on the shows and stuff. And and, and my interns that I have throughout the semesters, I tell them when we're putting clips together, you can do that if you're not changing what the person said. Exactly. And when he said, I'm looking out for you, it wasn't a um, standalone statement. That was part the, the, the part of the, the conversation that had happened earlier. He was warning him not to contact the victim. Oh. And to that, he says, I'm looking out for you. Right. Kind of trying to convince the guy not, not to do that. So um, the upshot was, oh, and by the way, another thing that, that, that uh, the AJC didn't mention, but that they also said was, he also referred to my beloved Georgia Bulldogs. But the context of that one was he referred to them as my beloved, the, the investigating officer, when he talked about how he had to work overtime on uh, their celebration parade. Oh, so in essence, gotcha. he was sarcastically saying, my beloved Georgia Bulldogs cost me a day off. But he took that quote and used it to somewhere say, completely the different. Was, the guy was a fan. Jeez, what a, so, what a Dr. Carvalho, what a disaster <laughs> that this is. And, you know, our credibility... And you can talk about traditional newspapers, which are supposed to be objective. Personally, I find that across the board with Auburn's uh, sports media, you've got the traditional newspapers, the OA News and Birmingham News Now, AL.com and and, uh, the Montgomery Advertiser. You've also got the independent sites. And across the board, I consider them to be very professional. Mm -hmm. But to, to do things like this... I think even our reporters, you know, we're we're very careful about not piling on. I I think even they uh, would uh, would agree that that this was out of line. And uh, this week, the uh, Atlanta Journal-Constitution, they did. They made they uh, they acknowledged uh, those two mistakes that the 11 players should have been detailed. They acknowledged that the two sentences were combined into a quote. Well, they did that because the University of Georgia 
demanded it, right? Right, right. They brought that to their, this wasn't independently mm-hmm. on their own. That's a very good point. It wasn't that they read it and they were like, you know, we probably shouldn't have let this in. It was after the aforementioned nine-page letter that uh, also threatened legal action. Mm. But uh, so, so they, they, they fired Judd. And they acknowledged those, and they, they said, you know, didn't, uh, to paraphrase, didn't meet the, the standards that we seek. But, um, yeah, what, what they, in essence, did was acknowledged the mess that they allowed to create. And I'm not just talking about, you know, we can, we can have fun with Georgia fans at, at all times, but it's not just that it, it upset the fans that they, they published this article. It's that. They published information that was that was not accurate, right? Uh, and and that that hurt their credibility, and that in essence violated because you, you know you remember from my classes I always talked about the audience. You're writing to an audience. You right. want people to read your stuff. You want people to trust your stuff. And these are the kind of things where we shoot ourselves in the foot. Yeah. And and the the things that we we exactly tell our students to avoid. It's it's stuff like this that, it, like you were just mentioning, whether it's a, a news outlet or whether it's even a radio station or a television station, where when you put out something like this that is then proven to be inaccurate and proven to be sloppy, right, I think is a good way to put it as well, it does. It hurts the credibility of that news outlet, but then the reason that Georgia was so upset, the University of Georgia and the football program and Kirby Smart was it shined a light on them that was false. And it, it, it makes the football program look different than what it actually is. Correct. Correct. Granted, there have been cases, and probably Baylor is the most egregious case, where things like this happen. And those in charge should be held accountable. Perhaps that being in the background is what fuels some of this um, um, what's the word? Uh, exaggeration, mm-hmm. this, this excessive um, kind of behavior. But yeah, I, you know, when when you're when you put your credibility on the line, and you do something like this, it's hard to recover from. It's readers. I compare I compare sports fans like the voters in uh, politics and citizens. They need accurate information. The, the voters in sports are the fans. Right. They want accurate information. If the information is accurate and is bad, mm-hmm. then most fans will respond uh, and, and agree that it's wrong. It's when you um, present inaccurate information, in essence, it, it undermines future reporting on this. Right. Well, and it's also, that's your job, right? That's your job as a reporter, as a news outlet or a radio station or whatever, as, again, a television. If, that's, if you're in the news department, that is your public service to, to the people outside, is to provide them with accurate information in a timely manner. And I think that's obviously where the AJC screwed up in this. I have a couple of questions in your professional opinion. Uh, You talked about how, and it made big news, that the reporter was fired from AJC. Do you, in your professional opinion, do you think he ever gets a job in in reporting or newspaper or media again? That's a good question. 
Um, After something like this happens that was had your name on it and you had an argument and a fight with the University of Georgia, they asked you for the player names, you refused to give it to them, and then your company had to come out and make a retraction and they fired you, do you take the risk on somebody like this? Again, don't know him personally at all, obviously, but with something like this that went down with your name attached to it, I would think it would be hard to get another job in this industry. And and that's a good point because uh, Alan Judd, to, to be honest with you, I'm not, I'm not familiar with his work. There are other writers we're familiar with. I would say uh, if he were to get journalism work, it would probably be outside of sports and outside of the area. Mm-hmm. And with journalism jobs being at a premium especially because of cutbacks right that would make it uh, very difficult you know sometimes people like that tend to go into into public relations yeah um <clears throat> sorry being on the other side of these controversies but yeah that uh his name may not follow him around as much as like others like jason blair a new york times reporter who was found to fabricate articles but um yeah, that, that definitely will follow him around. And then my other question, my other question to you is without us truly knowing the reason for him writing this article, for him holding the names, if he did have all those eleven player names and, and refusing to give that stuff up, without truly knowing that, I'm gonna ask you anyway, do you think this was a a chance for this reporter to get a uh, a demeaning, a damning article out against Georgia, or was this just something he thought he was truly reporting on, or could this just have been a, a legitimate article that the AJC was uh, just like I used earlier, sloppy with when they put this out? You know, it's hard to know why someone would do this, not not knowing them. But yeah, the question there when when you look at the article. And, and what you have is you have two cases, one where a recruit is investigated but not charged, the other where a player is suspended after being arrested and his teammates come to his bond hearing. And those, in and of themselves, you can discuss that. Mm-hmm. You can discuss what do you do going forward. But it's kind of like... To, to use a sports analogy, he took the ball and ran with it. Yeah. And he ran far beyond his information. And we talk about getting ahead of your information. Yeah. Where it's like the story's not there. If we want to write about this, we can and let the readers make up their own mind. Unfortunately, when the information is apparently embellished, especially the 11 players, when information is left out, that shows that Georgia did deal with it with another player, that ultimately, if that was his purpose, he ultimately undermined himself. I honestly don't believe that was his purpose. I do think there was a desire to see sexual assault, to see the the, the female students protected from such things, but this is not one of those such things, at least not to the extent that the reporter presented it. You can talk about the investigation, did they go far enough with the recruit? Uh, with with the, the linebacker, I mean, he was suspended. Right. So I don't know what else they could have done. Uh, and and it would, the, the lawyers demonstrated that the players, that, the, that Smart and his uh, assistants went out of their way to not encourage them to go. These guys wanted to go. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so sometimes if you do want to do that, if, if we're saying, oh, I've got this information, I'm going to get them, mm-hmm. and then you don't, it, it really does backfire and uh, kind of shows that that shouldn't be your, your goal anyway. Your goal should just be to report it. If the news is there, and in these other cases like Baylor, the news was there. Yes, and it was. And when it came out, we were reading that and we were going, we weren't saying, oh, my goodness, what, what, what kind of what – kind of, Empty reporting is this about Baylor? We were going, my goodness. How much more information is there? Yeah, like, there, that was the question. There is not, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. There is fire there. Yes, yes. But here, you know, where there's smoke, there's smoke. You know, that's all you've got. Right. We'll wrap up our conversation with uh, former Auburn journalism major and um, professor Dr. Carvalho joining me in studio talking about the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and their, uh, their disagreement with the University of Georgia. We'll wrap that conversation up in hour number one here on the Friday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 106.7 app. Wrapping up our number one and our conversation with Dr. John Carvalho joining me in studio uh, talking about the uh, Atlanta uh, Atlanta Journal Constitution and their article that they put out uh, about the University of Georgia and the football program and how uh, Georgia then reached back out with a nine page lawsuit and said you better retract it and they did they fired their reporter it just seemed like it was a messy situation over in Athens and so uh, Dr. Carvalho we got a few more minutes here where do we go from here like where what happens now with the agc with the university of georgia the football program like where do we where do we go from here okay when something like this happens you're always going to have uh people on social media saying georgia needs to sue them for libel uh to be honest with you probably a libel suit by georgia wouldn't go anywhere ultimately um it needs to be false. It needs to be the report. It needs to know it's false. The, the 11 player thing could, could fall under that. But ultimately, for Georgia to sue for libel, uh, the AJC and Alan Judd, they would have to prove that they suffered financially. How would they prove result. that? Uh, lost ticket sales, uh, failure in recruiting. It'd be really tough to tie yeah. that back to one article, though. And I don't think they're suffering from it. No, I think and they're going to be just I'm fine. I'm not saying they, they should, but uh, yeah. Um, could the individuals in, in both cases, it was accurately reported. Mm-hmm. And, and again, if you read the Jarrett case, it's a, it's a very awkward read because it is a classic, uh, you, you just don't know. And especially in an emotionally charged, uh, uh, topic like sexual assault, you, you don't want to make careless things there yeah you got to get it right you got to get it right and and you know jamal jarrett actually is still on the team he played this year he and and the other side of it is too that we always talk about with libel especially when it's individuals these are our people and and i'm not just talking about uh in any case these are people who find themselves suddenly the focus of media coverage Mm -hmm. and the libel law exists so that these people especially private citizens can be treated fairly and aren't just left out you know georgia they've got the media they've got kirby smart he's out there he can talk about it they don't so i don't think you'll see a libel suit here but you definitely saw a strong response from georgia through their attorneys 
and the AJC saying as they should have, because you need to own up to it. Yes, we made a mistake. You can read it and think, man, they were, they were, they were kind of promoting their own ethics, even in the middle of all this a bit much. I don't know. Right. But, um, yeah, you've got to own up, and, and the AJC has to show that they're concerned as well. Would they have, in your opinion, really quickly, do you think they would have come out and said anything if Georgia had not said, if Georgia didn't come at them, would the AJC have realized, okay, this probably wasn't the best thing for us to do? That's a good question, because the best thing the AJC could have done would have been on their own said, mm-hmm. okay, we, we, we messed up. We messed up, and we're going to tell you about it. And I've seen people do that. And it's bad news for them, but they have the courage to do that. Um, give, given the tone of their apology, I don't know. And, and, and sometimes when the, their attorneys get in, they're like, don't, don't have been anything. <laughs> so. Well, hey, Dr. Gravajo, always a pleasure. Uh, it's great to see you. I appreciate you coming in and talking about a, a difficult topic, but nobody better to talk about it than you. So thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hour number one is in the books. Jack Cutton joins me. When we come back, we'll talk SEC Media Days and wrap up the week. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7. Auburn Opelika, sports leader. Happy Friday, everybody. Hope you're doing well as we get underway in hour number two here on the Friday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins. No Carter Bird today. He's out for the weekend. He'll be joining me back here on Monday. It seems like it's been two months since I've been in the studio with that man, but uh, no, he will be back on Monday. I am back from Nashville. Uh, Dan and I got in last night about 11th. 30 uh, from Nashville, Tennessee and SEC Media Days 2023. Don't you worry, we'll talk a lot about that here in hour number two. Talk about the interviews I had, uh, the audio we heard, and the predictions that were made by the media there at SEC Media Days. But hour number one is in the books. If you missed any of it, uh, be sure you go and catch up with the podcast later on today. ESPNAU.com or just search on the line wherever you get your podcast. I talked about media days a little bit, talked about the preseason polls from the media. And then also, I uh, just got done talking with uh, my former professor at Auburn, Dr. John Carvalho. Uh, he used to be a journalism professor at Auburn University, he used to head over journalism as well. And we talked about the uh, Atlantic Journal-Constitution versus the University of Georgia, and it was a huge thing that happened. Uh, again, it kind of got overshadowed with SEC Media Days, but it was a big, it was a big event. Uh, it was a huge deal uh, for the University of Georgia and their football program. And so I appreciate Dr. Carvalho coming in and giving his insight and really explaining it very very well uh, and how this was just a, it was a 
it was a failed day in journalism, but it got fixed, and, and hopefully it all can move on from there. So if you missed any of that in the first hour, again, be sure to go catch it with the podcast at ESPNAU.com. You can also catch my one-on-one interview with Auburn head football coach Hugh Freeze. It's also at ESPNAU.com. But as usual on Fridays, I've got uh, Jack Cutton in the studio joining me so where I don't have to fly solo. What's up, player? How you doing, man? <laughs> I'm good, man. This is uh, this is old. This is like flashback to when Carter was before Carter was here when you were coming in to help me. I know out we were doing the dog days of summer. Was it was this last year? Yeah, yeah. About this was 365 days yeah, ago because I was still at this time last year. I was still flying solo um, before because Carter Carter started uh, in like early mid August of mm-hmm. last year. So yeah, it was right around because I remember we started doing after the game at that point um, and like the first time Carter and I did after the game. I think it was the first game. Uh, or maybe it was the second game there. I can't remember what it was. But I remember the first time we did it was essentially our first time meeting. Like yeah. we had met in passing, and then we got to the studio and was like, hey, how you doing, man? And <laughs> let's do a show together. So we yeah. dove right in. Uh, but, yeah, I remember that, and I remember us – doing a couple of these things so yeah this is kind of a flashback isn't it? yeah it is well i appreciate you coming in uh, again carter out for the weekend but uh, uh we'll talk all things sec media days auburn football all that coming up here in hour number two phone lines are open uh, if you want to join the conversation on a friday afternoon we'd love to hear from you 334-321-1390 that number again 334-321-1390 uh, i mentioned uh we got back last night from sec media days uh Jack, I'm just going to be honest with you and the listeners. I said this once. I'm tired, man. <laughs> I was going to say, tired, I look over and you're I'm saying, tired. when you're coming back at 1130 at night, Jacob's got his head in his hands yeah. and just eyes closed. And, I am, man. Hey, but you're still here, baby. You're That's still right. Rocking. That's right. Well, look, we put out we put out great content on this station all week long. Doug Amos of the Max Roundtable, yeah. us from on the line, and Dan and Bill uh, for the drive. And so uh, we put out just unbelievable content. Jack, here's the list of everybody I talked to just on my show right just me and carter on our show this is who i talked to last week or this week it's still friday my days are all messed up (laughs) talk to gary stoken the peach bowl incorporated ceo and president talk to tony barnhart mr college football talk to chris doring of sec network daryl daprich of locked on auburn jordan hill of dogs 247 our normal georgia guy Takeo Spikes, SEC Network, former Auburn and NFL linebacker. Joe Tessitore from SEC Network. Zach Blackerby of Locked On Auburn. Lance Dahl of Locked On Kentucky. Andrew Stefaniak of Locked On Aggies. Talk to Austin Hannon of Bama Central, Alabama Weekly Guest. Talk to Brandon Marcello, the National College Football Writer for 247. And Chris Gordy, host of Locked On SEC. And then, of course, my one-on-one interview with head coach Hugh Freeze. It's a pretty a, good list. A really good one, by the way, Thank that you. last one. Thank you. Uh, the individual interview with Hugh Freeze was was very insightful. I thought you got a lot of content out of it. Um, he kind of delved in, he, or dove, what's the word there? I can't remember. Um, he kind of delved into that, you know, that family moniker that he's talked about where you've got the, I guess it's an acronym that he uses for family. Um, and he's, he's kind of, He's kind of portrayed that in the past, and I felt like he really leaned into that this week at SEC Media Days. He said that a lot more, so seems like something he's pushing, I guess. Right. Well, I, I was able to ask him, uh, you know, I had about six minutes with him. I didn't have very long, uh, but very, very fortunate for the time that I did have. We were one of two outlets in Nashville that yeah. got to talk to him. So That's crazy. Uh, very, very blessed to, do, to be able to do that, and thank you again to Kirk Sampson and all the SIDs over at Auburn Athletics. But I was able to ask head coach Freeze, 
about the transition and the just the process of him and his family moving to Auburn, and he he had some really really good things to say to me about it was a, a seamless transition. Uh, the, everybody has accepted him and his family extremely well. Um, they are excited to be here. And, and Jack, I want to sort of get into recapping SEC Media Days with that. He seemed to be really excited about being at Auburn. He's excited about the football season, and, and it's, I think he's just ready to get on the field in 43 days and play. Yeah, yeah, you can tell. And I thought it was interesting how a lot of coaches will give you coach speak in interviews like that. They'll say, well, we got a really talented team. We're looking forward to this year, blah, blah, blah. And I felt like you had some of that. But you also had an acknowledgement of where you came from. And so a lot of what I noticed um, head coach Freeze was saying was built towards, look, we came in and the roster was not in good shape. And so we had to build this by going out to the portal and getting these new guys that could come in and compete for starting time right away. And I felt like he did a good job of towing the line between we're going to be good at some point, but we had a job to do when we came in. We've done the job to this point, and now it's going to be about plugging these guys in and starting the process of seeing the results on the field. So I, I feel as though he's come in and he's tried to set expectations of, look, this is going to take a couple of years. I mean, this is, this is going to be a rebuild, but I think the potential there and what he is able to show in the past, what he's able to do, um, I think that that is is – a-tier caliber for Auburn right now. I think he's got a lot of potential to come in and, and turn it around. What else did you, because I know you were listening to to our shows and, and listening to Freeze and everybody at SEC Media Days. Overall, Jack, we, we talked about how Auburn and Hugh Freeze did exactly what they needed to do at SEC Media Days. Get in, get out, no headlines, didn't ruffle any feathers. It was a perfect SEC Media Days in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think Hugh Freeze did a very good job I think, to be honest with you, I think that Hugh Freeze is one of the better coaches that I've seen for Auburn um, when he is performing interviews because I do like the fact that he doesn't give the whole barn away, but he does give you a little bit of a look behind the door as to here's how it really is. It, it, it's not necessarily all sunshine and rainbows of we got a great team and we're going to go out and we feel like we can beat anybody. No, it's – you know, you heard him talk about we're behind Georgia and Alabama. We're behind them in talent. We're behind them in scheme and stuff like that. And it's going to be a process of getting back into it. So I like that um, from a coach to be optimistic, but also be realistic with fans about the journey ahead. And so I think I liked where he came from with that. Um, general things that I liked from SEC media days yeah. in general. Um, you know, I thought it was funny that Lane Kiffin, doesn't get asked a single question about football. Yeah, how about that? It's all about Lane Kiffin rather than anything else. I just thought that was very odd. Which I think speaks exactly what Lane Kiffin is, and I think that's that's what you get with him as a head football coach to represent your university is he is the storyline. And you know what, Jack? He wants it to be that way. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and I do think – and I was definitely on board – if you want to call it the de facto lane train when, when it was going through the hiring process. Um, <clears throat> so I, I think I, I liked that mentality at the time. I felt like that was what was needed for Auburn. Looking back on it, I think that may have been an overcorrection by Auburn if they would have done that because I think you got a staff, um, a staff for about a decade long now 
that has been a little bit more complacent in things and in, in recruiting in general and how they treat the media and things like that. And now you get to, well, if you hire Lane Kiffin, oh man, it's, it's a completely different show now. I mean, now you're, you're turning this thing on a 180. I feel like that may have been an overcorrection now because I think watching Hugh Freeze at Media Days, I think he handled it very well. It was a, again, we're not where we want to be, but here's the plan to get there. And here's the different types of things I want to implement in this culture here. I think it was really good for Auburn. Um, and, yeah, it speaks to, you know, what you would get with a Kiffin hire. Yeah, and, and with Kiffin, whether it was the main room or whether it was in the electronic media room, the smaller room, uh, yeah, he got very little to no questions about his team, about his players, about his coaches. Um, it was a lot about him. Uh, he also made a joke about somebody's mom, so that was that was there. <laughs> yes. um, he uh, he's just he's just different, man. Yeah. He's just a, he's a different type of guy. He's a he comes off as a me guy, right? It's about me, myself, and I. Um, and look, it works for him. I think it works for him at Ole Miss. Now, whether they're going to be good this year or not, I don't know. I don't think they're going to be all that. Carter thinks they're going to be the worst team in college football. But um, I just don't think that was the way to go for Auburn. And I was on the Lane train, too. Oh, yeah. I was. I, I was on the Lane Kiffin path when Auburn was looking for their new head coach. Well, I think generally the same way that, that we were thinking was a lot of how the rest of the fan base was thinking of. we got to have a complete 180 from the previous staffs. And you wanted a guy who could come in and had this pedigree to call plays, you know, because, I mean, for years now it's been, oh, well, we know what Auburn's running now, and Auburn's not creative with their play calling. And now you go back to, oh, this big-time offensive coordinator comes in, and, yeah, I mean, we know how great of a play caller he is, and he's aggressive and all this. And right, and the recruiting part of it, it was, didn't fit. was big, too, because <laughs> yeah. if Auburn would have hired Lane Kiffin, the recruiting would have been just astronomically different immediately. Now, long-term, I don't know, and Hugh Freeze has proven that he could do that, too, but the initial splash, right, of, of if Lane Kiffin were to be hired at Auburn, if it wasn't Hugh Freeze, the initial recruiting would have been really, really good. I think, though, based off of what he's done at Ole Miss, and I know there's a huge difference in recruiting to Oxford, Mississippi versus recruiting to Auburn, Alabama, but I think long-term, Hugh Freeze has already proven that his recruiting style and his recruiting pitch and his recruiting methods are going to be really, really good. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think. I mean, you look at the results from the transfer portal. That speaks for itself. Um, you know, to to kind of piggyback on that and – to look at other teams that were at the SEC media days. I thought uh, Shane Beamer for South Carolina is, I mean, th that dude's a ball of electricity. Yes, when he is. he's on stage, you know, I mean, you you heard him just talk about the excitement and the, I think he said fever a couple times, which I've never heard in an SEC media day press I like conference. him, though. Yeah, I, I really do. too. Um, Clark Lee continues to think that Vanderbilt football can win a national championship, and I but I'm not sure. Him for that. <laughs> I respect Clark Lee, and I've said this, and I'll say it again. I think I said it this week. Clark Lee at Vanderbilt. A, Vanderbilt's going to a bowl game this year. They're not finishing last in the SEC East like the media predicted them to. But when it comes to a guy like Clark Lee, and it comes to somebody who is the head coach of Vanderbilt football, I respect him. The, he has my utmost respect because – if you go and you take that job to be the head coach of Vanderbilt football and you walk in there with the mindset that everybody in college football has where uh, you're Vanderbilt, you're not supposed to do anything, you're not going to do anything, you can't recruit, you're a bunch of doctors, like you're not going to be relevant 
in college football. If you have that mindset as a head coach, then that's all you'll ever be. But somebody like Clark Lee, who, yes, he speaks about Vanderbilt winning national championships. I know that's getting ahead, but he at least can see and has a vision and wants to be better. He wants Vanderbilt to get better and try to be relevant in the SEC and in college football. And I think he will make them somewhat relevant they will be playing in postseason ball this year I truly believe that and and that's why three four years from now you'll probably see Clark Lee coaching somewhere else at a bigger job because he has that mentality so I respect that man I respect somebody that wants to go to Vanderbilt and make them good that's what James Franklin did before he went to Penn State it is the model that I think Mark Stoops has used with Kentucky absolutely And and I know that's not you know Kentucky's not a national contender necessarily for year in and year out but you look at what Mark Stoops has done with that program I think it's a great comparison it's in, it's in a different spot now and I think that that could be what Vanderbilt turns into given Clark Lee continues to stay on and see this thing through and to keep saying oh we're going for national championships it's the aim for the moon and you might get a star right is 100%. What I think is what I think they're 100%. trying to go for there I think that's a great comparison because think about what Kentucky football used to be Eh. They yeah, were never, oh, they yeah. Were, very similar to Vanderbilt. Yeah, not maybe not as low, but very similar. Yeah. And then you got a guy like Mark Stoops who's been there forever, but he has started recruiting there. Kentucky's a dark horse in the SEC East. I mean, if all things go right, it could happen for Kentucky, yeah. where 10 years ago it was never even a pipe dream for them. Yeah. I mean, it was Florida and everybody else. And so, no, I think it's a great uh, a great comparison. Uh, Jack, what else did you, did you get from SEC media days? You know what? Let's take a break. We'll talk some more about it when we come Sounds back. Good. We will uh, talk some more SEC Media Days on a Friday afternoon here on ESPN 106.7. What did you hear from SEC Media Days that you liked, didn't like? What do you want to talk about? Give us a phone call at 334-321-1390. The Friday edition of On the Line rolls on when we come back. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Back inside the studio here at ESPN 106.7 for the Friday edition of On the Line. I'm Jacob Goins, joined by Jack Cudden in studio. Uh, Jack, we're continuing to talk SEC Media Days as the week wraps up. Uh, SEC Media Days in the books there in Nashville. We'll be in Dallas next yeah, year. About yeah, that? We got that announcement, I think, the first day? Yeah, the, first yeah day? The, the news spilled out before Sankey could take the main podium. But yes, it will be uh, in Dallas next year. And while that's going to be a lot of fun, the disaster part of that, do you also know what's happening the exact same time that time next year when we're in Dallas? Oh, I have no idea. That is the MLB All-Star Weekend. <laughs> is it really? Yes. Home run <laughs> derby on it. Monday and the All-Star game on Tuesday. Oh, you gotta love it. <laughs> yeah. So, not really sure how that's going to go. Uh, we're hoping that somehow the SEC can get us an event at the Home Run Derby, the All-Star game. That would be really cool. God, Hotels awesome. are going to be a disaster. So, excited for that to yeah. see how that's going to go. Yeah. It's a wonder what, like, you wouldn't do it. And I, I can't. I haven't done any research. I mean, is it in? Is it with the Rangers? Is that the stadium they're doing, or is it in Houston? I mean, where where uh, is the All Star game next year? I would assume it'd be. Yeah, maybe there with the Rangers. I, I don't think really so. know. But um, Arlington. Yeah, yeah, they're in Arlington. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, so that's where SEC Media Days will be next year. Excited. Hopefully, we get the opportunity to go again. I'm hearing that it will be in atlanta in 2025 but i don't know if there's confirmation on that so God, that was so weird in 
21, I think it was, when the Braves were supposed to host, and then you get whatever happened with all the legislation stuff mm-hmm. going on, and then the Braves oh, come back and yeah. say, oh, fine, we'll just yeah, win the World yeah, Series yeah. anyways. Yeah, oh, I was talking about SEC Media Days being back in Atlanta. Oh, 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 I see. Yeah. Okay. But no, I, I remember what you're talking and about. And I think, well, that was crazy. just to, to, and I know this is off topic, but the MLB All-Star Game, I think they're talking about Doing that in Atlanta, I believe, in 2025, Okay. I say. Okay. I think that is between Atlanta and somebody else. I'm not sure who. Yeah, I, for, I forgot about that. Yeah, I forgot that back, they were supposed to have it. was in 21. They were supposed yeah. to have it. Had some political things mm-hmm. go on where MLB moved it to Colorado that year. Yeah. Um, and then the Braves go on and say, oh, fine, we'll, we'll just win the World Series anyways. Well, <laughs> and to not get political, because we don't do that on this show, but that was ridiculous i mean yes. that that was that was insanity i think to, to to move it based off of a of a political action and political basis is what it seemed to be um it, the fact that atlanta the braves got it stolen from them based off of something that the state was doing like it just didn't it didn't make a whole lot of sense i think it was well, wrong and and based on the opinions of who the higher ups in major league baseball like i get that you have to let politics sometimes be a controlling factor in things i get that because it does affect your life you can't let that happen on that big of a scale when you're making that big of a decision because mm-hmm. this is i mean sports you're supposed to be an unbiased source in right that. and i i mean i don't know unless there was some shady stuff going on behind the scenes with mlb i just think that was the wrong move by them case in point they're thinking about doing it again right. in 2025. Well, of course, in in 2020, uh, let's see, 2021 was when they put it in Colorado after uh, it was moved from Atlanta. 2022 was in Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles. This past year was in Seattle at T-Mobile Park. 2024 will be at Globe Life Field in, Rangers, in, for the okay. Rangers. Yep. So again, it's all going to be happening there with SEC Media Days at the same time. Uh, 25 is yet to be announced. 26 will be Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia. Uh, Rob Manfred, the uh, commissioner of Major League Baseball, said that these cities are in the mix for it. Uh, let's see. Uh, spoke on the matter prior to the game in Seattle. Okay, Atlanta, Baltimore, Toronto, and Chicago are all in the mix to host, according to uh, USA Today and Rob Manfred. So, Is that the Cubs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know? Okay, yeah. I didn't know if it was the Cubs yeah. or the White Oh, Sox yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, Wrigley Field. My bad. Yeah, I, I forget there's two teams <laughs> in Chicago. Um, yeah, that would be the first time Wrigley Field has hosted it since 1990. Wow, okay. And I don't remember an all-star game at least in my lifetime, at either Turner Field or um, Truist Park. I don't remember one. Now, that not saying that that didn't happen. And there may be somebody screaming at me right now. Um, Let's see. Um, it, the Braves hosted it 1972 and 2000, according to the Google. 2000, okay. So, well, just I was, in our life. I was around. But. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that would have been a long time ago. So, I think the Braves are are in line to to get that at Probably some point. So, so uh, yeah, we'll see. But, yes, that will yeah. be happening next year. I didn't mean Arlington. to take us down that tangent. It was just <laughs> no. It's Friday. Hey, it's Friday, man. That's what it's about. Um, so yes, SEC Media Days will be uh, next year in Dallas with the um, All Star Game going on right there in Arlington. Um, but to get back on SEC Media Days a little bit, Jack, I want to. Uh, ask you some more you were talking about Jimbo Fisher during the break and how he 
somehow really there were not a ton of headlines this year in media days right there weren't any just crazy quotes or crazy comments or crazy actions taken by the coaches and players which is typically a good thing but the one person that did was Jimbo Fisher and it was because of him dodging the questions about Bobby Petrino and the offense and whatever. I'm just curious on what you had to think about all that. Yeah, you and I were talking during the break, and it almost seemed like when a reporter or a journalist would ask a question about how was the offense going to work this year for A&M, would it be Jimbo Fisher's playbook and Petrino calling plays? Was it going to be Bobby Petrino bringing his style? Was it going to be a mesh? It seemed like he was almost a little annoyed with the question when he would get asked that. And we never got a firm answer as to what that would be. It was always, well, he's brought some good stuff, and um, you know we're going to be able to to implement some new things. And we just never really got a firm answer on who's going to be calling plays. Is this a team effort? Which I don't know what you would be giving away if you say, you know, oh yeah, well we're going to be kind of working together to implement some things, or we're going to be running Petrino's offense. Like, I mean, case in point. Hugh Freeze got up there and said, we're running the same thing I've always run. Yep. And it's, yeah, it's and, gonna, and I was going to bring that up, and he said, and Philip Montgomery's calling plays. Yeah, exactly. We're running the same system we've always run, and Philip Montgomery's going to be calling plays. I don't know what gives anything away there. I mean, I guess you can go back and look at Hugh Freeze offenses, but coaches have been doing that since the beginning of time. Yeah, and, and Freeze, I think, did a good job, too. He said, you know, if if I have to step in, I will, and I can, because that's what a head coach does, right? I mean, if if the situation on fourth down, you know, submits itself to say, hey, I think we should run this, this is my recommendation, or, you know, not to pull that card, but I'm the head coach, we're running this on fourth and one. Like, yeah. that, but that's what a head coach should have the option to do. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so, I mean, I, I thought the A&M thing, I thought that was kind of odd that we didn't get a an answer to that. You almost wonder is that Jimbo kind of trying to buy himself an out if things don't go well on the offensive end this year? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, obviously he's going to get the, a lot of blame falling on him anyways, um, but maybe he's trying to give himself an out as to, well, it's Petrino's fault. That he, and I, I'm not saying that that happened. I'm just wondering mm-hmm. you know, what's going on in the head of Jimbo Fisher. How about Nick Saban saying there is no <laughs> separation at the cornerback spot in Tuscaloosa? Yeah, I uh, thought that was very odd. In fact, is it Ty Simpson that some people are thinking might actually win that job? There Was, uh, was it McElroy that said that? I think so, yeah. That's really interesting because if so, we're getting a guy who – is completely new to college football, much less the Alabama offense. We'll talk some more about that and how the media voted the SEC rankings in 2023. Give us a call, 334-321-1390. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. We've got 30 more minutes here on a Friday afternoon, and this is On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins. Carter Bird out today. He'll be back on Monday, but I am joined by Jack Cudden in studio, and let's get to the phone lines. They are open. We'd love to hear from you. 334-321-1390. And Terry, you're on the line, man. Happy Friday. What's up? Happy Friday, guys. How's it going? Going well. Terry, Terry, what you got? I need to, before you get going, I need to apologize with my phone answering skills. (laughs) Uh, Apparently, 
I do not know how to work this newfangled technology that uh, Jacob House is in, in studio. Well, that's currently. okay, Jack, because <laughs> Jacob works on week next Friday off. That's right. Yeah, you're supposed to. Yeah, you would think so. You would think so. Well, yeah, I tried to go in the break. I was trying to go get some water, and then the phone rang, and Jack was trying to answer it. I've never taught him. That's not his responsibility. It's my job. I was just not in here. So, Terry, we appreciate you calling in. What's up? Um, you were the guys were talking about Alabama, and I don't guess they knew the quarterback. I think the coaches do know it's going to be a, a battle between two guys, Milrose and the guy from Notre Dame, but. If Nick Saban tries to go back to we're going to run the football and play great defense, Alabama's going to struggle because the, the, the game of football is just not played that way anymore. And they're going to get outscored. I, I mean, a, a great defense, I've said this thousands of times, it can only assure you of a tie. Yeah. yeah. I, I, just, I just don't believe in that style of play anymore. I just don't. Yeah, I think it is getting more towards – obviously, it's, it's not only getting more towards, but it's been – um, more of a lean on the offensive game in the previous years. I mean, you look at when the spread offense came in, that was kind of the turning point for a lot of how college football worked. I mean, everybody's running some version of the spread offense now. Um, because, Jack, that's what gets on ESPN at night. Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, offense not only scores points, it scores viewers. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think for the future of college football, I wouldn't doubt that you see – some of this return to old school football case in point you saw what Auburn did last year when Brian Harson moved on and you have Will Friend calling the offense I mean you saw some power heavy looks and some interesting play design concepts that I had not seen before they were fake pitches but kind of like reverse fake pitches going the other way with lead blockers I mean it was really interesting if you you go back and look at the Mississippi State game, the Texas A&M game, Auburn kind of put those things in. So I don't know. It, it wouldn't surprise me to see some of that come back because it did seem to work when teams knew Auburn was going to run the football. Well, Auburn didn't have much of a choice last year, let's be honest. Well, you're right, you're right about, that. about that, yes. But so in that point, I just think if you try to play that week in and week out in the SEC, it's going to eventually catch up to you a little bit. And who's, what were the guys that voted to gave Vanderbilt number one? What were they drinking? I don't it know. Must have been good, whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They they received a few votes not only to win the SEC East. They win. They got five votes to win the SEC. Five? Yes, five. It's so all they got that, more than Auburn. It's all that campaigning that Clark Lee did, telling people that they're going to win national championships. Then you ought to be a used car salesman. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because, yeah, I agree. Um, I mean that that's some, that's some, that's that's some good talk right there. Yeah, they got eight I mean, votes I, to win the East, Terry, and five to win it outright. Eight to win the East? Yep. Come on, give me a break. <laughs> yeah. What, yeah, you, you disagree I, with that, Terry? Uh, just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely disagree with that too. I mean, I just I don't I don't think I'll finish it's with got the, to. It's almost like a meme of oh, haha, we're going to vote Vanderbilt to to win the East. I just I don't I don't see how you do that. The offensive and defensive lines are not in the same place as the rest of the SEC. They're going to have to go through Georgia. They're going to have to go through Tennessee. I just, Kentucky, I don't, I don't, South Kentucky, Carolina, South Carolina. I mean, who are there? They're gonna have to go through Auburn this year, even. And I know everybody's gonna in the country is gonna say, "Oh, well, Auburn's nothing to go through." And I think that's a load of crap right now. Um, mm-hmm. So I mean, they've got a tough schedule like every year, and I'm I'm struggling to see a way that they even make it to Atlanta, much less win the whole thing. Well, yeah, they went five and seven, I think, last year. Correct. Correct. I mean, I just, I don't know. James Franklin went, went eight games. They they would like him governor, I think. Yeah, yeah, they would. Went eight well, games at Vanderbilt. I mean, come on. I think Vanderbilt makes a bowl game, though, Terry. 
Jacob, what are you drinking? <laughs> I was trying to drink water, but uh, nah, six back six, uh, I, I could see that. I could. Yeah, and I think, get yeah. You the bowl. yeah, I think six and six for Vanderbilt. I think it's doable. And I think that they... puts Clark Lee on the map as mm-hmm. a guy that people are going to come to and say, "Okay, you've you've improved Vanderbilt." Which is next to impossible. So which what is we do moving which forward? is the biggest reason why Vanderbilt will never be just actually relevant. Yeah. Relevant because anytime they get a good head coach that can make them into something, somebody's going to hire him away. So at what point yeah. do they invest for? Because they've got, I mean, they, they just approved this brand new like it was a three hundred million dollar improvement to their stadium. Or yeah, something they're doing like it's that. it's happening literally yeah. as we speak. Yeah, yeah. So. Are they starting to invest in that? And then, can you attract bigger names? I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm speaking. I'm spitting ball. Well, Jacob and Jack, I'll say this: If Clark Lee goes six and six at Vanderbilt, he'll be mentioned. I won't say he'll get it, but he'll be mentioned for that Florida job. Mm. I could see that. Okay, that's a good that's a good point because mm. we don't. It seemed like Billy Napier this time was that two years ago now was the big big name for. A lot of programs to go get. Auburn, I think, was interested in him even. Um, and just the epic fall of that has been very odd. I thought he would be a pretty good coach, and he just he has not improved that team. He hadn't recruited a quarterback. Not one that can play anyway. No. Yeah. I don't know, guys. I just I think six and six at Vanderbilt would get him mentioned for a lot of things, and and it'd be a heck of a year at Vanderbilt. Let's be honest, a yeah. bowl game at Vanderbilt. Yeah, Tennessee right. and Vanderbilt. When was the last time that happened? They both played in bowl games. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. That's a really good question. But uh, yeah. I just think that Clark Lee he has the right mentality, and, and, and I think that he gets his guys to buy in. And I know we're talking a lot about Vanderbilt, but I just I really <laughs> really like him. I do. I like him and his mentality. And yeah, if he goes six and six at Vanderbilt, there are going to be some schools that are giving him a call. The guy's other name Clark Lee, someone like a guy in Congress or the Senate or something. <laughs> That's a good point. I can see Take that. Care, guys. Have a great weekend. Yeah, you too, Terry. Right, Good Terry. to hear from you. 334-321-1390. Phone lines are still open. That would be an interesting destination for him to end up at Florida after all of now, that. Now, see, we Carter and I were talking about this yesterday on our final, my final day in Nashville um, because our buddy Austin Hannon, or maybe that was Wednesday, our buddy Austin Hannon of Bama Central, he put out something on Twitter just kind of joking, and it got Alabama fans all riled up about – the predecessor to Nick Saban at Alabama and the possibility (laughs) of it being Shane Beamer from South Carolina Mm -hmm. and thought that was interesting. And what sparked all this conversation was yesterday, Josh Heupel of of Tennessee, he was asked about Oklahoma, his alma mater, he's a national champion, was an All-American there. Um, Carter and I were having this debate, and I want to ask you this. I'm not sure how much you were listening yesterday, but we had this debate yesterday. If And look, I 100% agree with Carter – if Oklahoma came calling, if, if Venables falls out and doesn't be successful at Oklahoma in the next two or three years, which I think it's a big possibility, especially when they come to this conference, if Oklahoma comes calling to Josh Heupel at Tennessee, I think he would take the job. I think he would 1,000% take that job, right? It's his alma mater. He's a national champion there. It's still an SEC school, of course, next year when they come. I think if Oklahoma called Josh Heupel next year or the year after, he would dip Tennessee and go to Oklahoma. I said this, Jack, and Carter disagreed. I think with the state of the current programs at Tennessee and Oklahoma, given what the outlook I think that's going to be in the next five years for those two programs, I think Tennessee's going to continue to do this as I move my hand up here in the studio. 
And I think Oklahoma's going to flatline. I think they're going to be a middle-of-the-ground team in the SEC. Maybe a little bit above average, but not by much. I think it would be a step down for Josh Heupel to leave Tennessee where they're, where they're at right now and where they're going to go to Oklahoma. I'm interested in how you think about that. Yeah, as a – I'm just kind of thinking out loud here, so if I contradict myself, that's why. Um, in a – in a vacuum, let's let's look at Oklahoma versus Tennessee, facility-wise. Not sure. It feels like they're pretty similar. Nayland Stadium is 102,000, you know, seating plays. Tennessee has all the facilities that most college football programs do. Oklahoma, I'm aware of some things that they have that are really nice. And so, I mean, I don't think that there's necessarily a huge divide there. So that's kind of a split. Fan support you're going to probably get another split. You have both fan bases are, are used to winning traditions. They're used to prestige in their programs. They've, they've had national championships before. So you're going to get the fairly same fan base, I think. And so really the thing that it comes down to is what's their commitment to football and then where do you want to be if you're Josh Heupel? Obviously the Oklahoma job would have – some major ramifications for Heupel, that being his alma mater. That speaks largely to people. However, has he been in Tennessee long enough now, and does he like the area enough to say, I like it here. If Tennessee can offer me a X amount of money, I get to keep my family here. They get to keep going to school. We keep the same people around. Does that have something to do? To me, I, I, I see it closer to a push just because I think that those are two very similar programs. I can see the Oklahoma flattening off and kind of becoming that mid-tier to upper mid-tier team. Maybe Tennessee gets an East championship at some point in the next few years under Heupel, and maybe that kind of increases their brand. I could see that. Um, I think right now I would kind of call that a push and would lean towards him taking the Oklahoma job just because he went to school there. But – if Tennessee continues that upward trajectory and they want to pay him the same as Oklahoma would, I would not be surprised if he chose to stay at Tennessee. Right, and that's my biggest thing is it, look at recency bias in the last 10 years. Oklahoma's been a much more relevant program than, than Tennessee. They have a Heisman Trophy winner. They've been to the college football playoff. Like They have been a relevant program in college football where Tennessee has not been. Right. Tennessee is getting there, and they are now. Right, They are a relevant program in this conference, and I think they will be over the next 10 years, let's say. I think let's, starting next year when Oklahoma comes to this conference, I think Tennessee will be a better, more relevant, have more wins type of program than Oklahoma will. And that's why I think it would technically be a step down for Josh Heupel to do that. Now, could he go to Oklahoma and change that entire narrative? Absolutely. Sure. Because I think Josh Heupel's a really, really good coach. But that was a conversation that came up yesterday uh, out of the possible Shane Beamer to Alabama after Nick Saban conversation. Yep. And, and our buddy Austin was telling us, uh, he said that Alabama fans were not happy about that at all. <laughs> they were they were lighting him hey, up on Twitter. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you this, though. I think Shane Beamer is a really damn good coach. I do, too. I think he's a good coach. I do and too. I think that would be a good hire. It's just not going to be the name that you're wanting. But he's full of energy. I mean, you, we saw that on the SEC Media Day stage mm-hmm. from him. Um, and he's brought South Carolina back to a nine, maybe even a 10-win team this year if Spencer Rattler has the year that 
I personally think he will. Yeah. So he's done a lot with the small amount that he has. All the while, Clemson still maintains its maybe not run of dominance, but they're very relevant in that same state. They recruit much better than South Carolina in that state. And Shane Beamer's win in eight, nine games, very possibly a 10-win season this year. I don't think necessarily that would be a bad hire for Alabama. I just don't think the fan base would like it. Right, and then I don't remember if it was Carter or somebody else that brought up Beamer. It may have been Terry that called in yesterday talking about Beamer could go to Florida Yeah, if Napier gets fired. Because, buddy, let me tell you, I I really hate it, and I talked about this earlier this week. I really like Billy Napier, and I think he's a good football coach. I just think he got – he walked into a really bad situation in Gainesville. And I think it was just a little too early for him. And it was – he. I don't know if there's many coaches that could have been successful in what they walked into in Gainesville. I mean, it was just a disaster, man. It was a disaster. And he hasn't gotten a quarterback. He's got the worst one in the conference. Their schedule is brutal this year. Um, I just don't know – I don't see a world where Billy Napier can turn it around quickly enough in Florida – for him to survive but it doesn't mean he's a bad coach and I hope he can rebound somewhere if it doesn't work out well if he puts up a semi-decent year this year let's say he somehow gets to seven wins it's still not going to make the Florida fan base very happy with no him. and we don't even think that they're going to get to that many wins we don't even th- it's very possible they miss a bowl game this mm-hmm. year just because of that lack of a quarterback, lack of returning um, experience, and then you get your, your like you mentioned, the really tough schedule that they have. Uh, I'm not really sure that that would even make Florida fans happy as a seven-win season. I do think that Florida's probably one of those jobs when you come in where if you give a guy four to five years, that thing's going to be up and running again just because it's Florida. All the money, all the facilities, all the fan support you have – it is easy to win there. It just it's not so easy when you only have two to three years. Some interesting coaching conversations on the coaching carousel when it comes to the Southeastern Conference in college football. When we come back, we'll wrap up the Friday edition of On the Line, talk about some of those votes and where Auburn is predicted to finish by the media at SEC Media Days. We'll talk about that, wrap up the show on the other side. You are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Wrapping up the Friday edition of On the Line and uh, wrapping up what's been an exhausting week. I'm going to be really honest with you. Uh, It's been a fantastic week. Been so much fun uh, wrapping up our SEC Media Days coverage. Uh, We wrapped it up yesterday back here in the studio in Auburn today. uh, I'm going to go home and not do anything this weekend. I'm going to do a whole lot of nothing, Jack Hutton. After doing everything the entire week. That's right. That's right. Well, look, we worked very hard, uh, all of us with ESPN 106.7, Doug Amos of the Max Roundtable, myself with On the Line, and Dan Peck of The Drive. Uh, we, uh, I'll make this argument until until I die. We, we did it better than anyone. We put out the best content, best interviews, uh, best audio, and, and best analysis. So uh, if you missed any of our shows this week from SEC Media Days and today here on this Friday afternoon, ESPN au.com that's where you can find it all under the podcast center and my one-on-one interview with head coach hugh freeze of auburn football that is on the main page at espnau.com as well so go check it all out this weekend uh, we put out fantastic content but Did you almost say clark lee 
No. <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I didn't. But, uh, no, I, I am very thankful that it's Friday. Um, it's, it's been a long week, man. It's been a, it's, it's so, it's a grind. It, it is a grind at SEC Media Days, but it's a lot of fun, man. Starting to get real now, I think 43 days right. away. Is, yep. that the, yep. uh, is that the, the countdown for Auburn yes, kickoff? It is. And then it's, it's under 40 for college football in general. Because I think the week before... Yeah, Vandy and Hawaii play the week before. So it'll be 36 days until college football kicks off. How about it, man? It's right around the corner. And you know what happens before that? High school football gets going. Yeah, baby. In just a few weeks. Lee Scott, August 17th. Auburn High the week after that. That's right, baby. Auburn High School again. Um, We're going to be on Wings 94-3 still, I believe. Is that correct? Yep, yep. So Uh, here's the weekend weekend lineup for Wings 94-3. Thursday night is going to be Tiger Talk, the weekly coaches show. Mm -hmm. Friday night is going to be Auburn High School football, and Saturdays will be Auburn University football. How about that? That's a full that's, that's full a, evening there, that's isn't it? That's a stacked it? weekend. I know it. We get, well, we have that. And then, of course, Scott Bagwell does a great job, the voice of the Auburn High Tigers. Um, Rob Pate, who will uh, be the color guy again this year. And then I'll uh, sprinkle in a little bit here and there um, as the, the stats slash producer guy I'll be producing. And so looking forward to, to working with those two again. We had an absolute blast last year following those guys uh, all the way to the state championship game. And um, – you know, got to call a game in Jordan Hare. That was really neat. So just a lot of stuff that uh, we're, we're looking forward to again this year. Yeah, well, that'll be coming up in just a few weeks. Again, Lee Scott starts the week before that on a Thursday night, August 17th at home versus Chambers Academy. So looking forward uh, to that as well. Lots to do between now and then. But um, yeah, football season right around the corner. And that's really what is exciting and fun about SEC Media Days is it is the unofficial start to the college football season. And Jack, we got just a couple of minutes. I want to let you you talk about this really quick Auburn was picked to finish second to last in the SEC West by the media in Nashville this week for what it's worth I picked Auburn to finish third so um I I it's just wrong man people talked about it all week in Nashville and then they voted for it to back it up they're wrong they're absolutely wrong I would have them probably no higher I think I could if if you told me there was a world in which Auburn finished second in the West this year I don't think that would be out of the question I think it's very possible that you have Alabama lose a couple of games early and start to fall, and Auburn has a really good year, wins the Iron Bowl, has the same record, maybe jumps into that two spot. I could also see Auburn sliding a bit, maybe finishing fifth. I don't see a sixth place. You got Ole Miss, who I think it, there's there's almost no way that happens. You got Mississippi State. You're going to have Arkansas and A&M that are going to be the ones to beat. I mean, I think those teams can be – okay I think they could be pretty good but I don't think Texas A&M is turning things around from last year all of a sudden I don't think Arkansas is in a place even though they've been okay I think they're kind of flatlined like you mentioned with KJ Jefferson I think they're kind of still right there we've talked about Ole Miss all year we've talked about how we don't think they're going to be very good and then what does Mississippi State look like changing their entire feel of who they are uh, as a team I just, I just don't see a second to last in the West. Mm-hmm. I just don't see it. No, I don't either. I think realistically for Auburn, four is a good spot yeah, for yeah, them. Yeah, I, I would say so. But I voted, I voted in in positivity. I guess that's sure, not the word I'm looking with for. Your sure, yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, yeah, I put Auburn at three. Uh, more realistically, I think fourth in the West is where Auburn could be. But we'll see. I think the media is wrong, though. I think the media is wrong. Well, that's going to do it 
for this week on ESPN 106.7. The Drive coming up, though, with Dan Peck and Bill Cameron, so be sure you stay tuned for that. Thank you so much for tuning in all week long for SEC Media Days until Monday, 2 to 4, right here on ESPN 106.7. Stay safe. I'll talk to you later.